0: The true meaning
1: of Christmas. Don't miss Charles Dickens' immortal classic, Screw. Your life might just.
0: Hello and welcome to Brits on Flex your movie monthly podcast. With me as usual is co-host Brian Lomax from Brian Lomax Movie Talk. And this month since it's December we've chosen a Christmas movie to talk about and this month it was my choice. I chose Scrooged, eh, one of my favourite Christmas movies. Brian, do you want to let myself and everybody else know your experience with this movie?
1: Yeah, this was one of the first films that we rented on video, the first film we actually rented ever on video was Ghostbusters, another Bill Murray movie. Um, but yeah, this was this was one as well that we kind of rented repeatedly. Actually, it's, it's not one; it's not just one that we got out from the video shop that one time. It's one that actually we went back to the video shop and because we couldn't find anything else we fancied we thought, you know what, Scrooged again. So I specifically remember getting this video out or uh, this film out on video uh, quite a few times. Um, we loved it as kids. I, I Until we did the kind of rewatch for this podcast I hadn't actually seen the film for a good 10, 15 years if not longer, uh, but... Yeah, it was definitely one of the family favourites come Christmas time when when we were kids.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Much like yourself, I I rented this when it it first came out and I repeatedly rented it as well like yourself. In fact, I remember renting it during the height of the summer just because I enjoyed the movie and from then on I've watched it most Christmases and sometimes when it's not Christmas as well. And I I, I love this movie so... I'm a bit worried about today if I'm going to be able to analyse this properly without <laughs> looking through rose the uh, spectacles because I, I just, I, I really do like this movie and I'm going to try to analyse it but the good thing is is you've had a few years from watching it so maybe you'll be able to pick up some things that I just may be choosing to not see but I'm sure we'll
1: find out when we get into it so do you have a short synopsis for us? I do, yeah Frank Cross, played by Bill Murray, is a high-powered executive in charge of one of the largest US TV networks. When he is tasked with bringing to the screen a new adaptation of A Christmas Carol, the classic Charles Dickens story, his disdain for the holiday season brings out the worst in him. But as Cross seems to behave more and more like the persona of Ebenezer Scrooge, so too does his life seem to emulate that of the character – when he is visited by the ghost of an old friend who tells him that he will soon be visited by three spirits will cross be able to learn the same lessons as ebenezer will he be able to rekindle his relationship with old girlfriend claire can he impress his boss long enough to hold back competition for his job from upstart rival john glover And can he manage to keep himself alive when an ex-employee, played by Bobcat Goldthwait, comes gunning for him? All these questions and more will be answered when Frank gets well and truly Scrooged.
0: Fantastic. That was excellent, Brian. Thank you. Um, So, Scrooged came out in 1988. It was directed by Richard Donner and stars one Bill Murray, who is much in every single scene of this movie, <laughs> with the exception of the opening scene, which has this kind of strange, ethereal opening as it flies through the clouds to this Santa's workshop, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the opening of uh, a, a strange TV movie called The Day the Reindeer Died and, for some reason, every time I watch that, I keep forgetting that, that that opening's there. So what did you think of that when you put this movie <laughs> on in that opening scene that
1: happens? Yeah, I totally forgot about this scene. It just wasn't even on my radar. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was watching either the Santa Claus or Fred Claus or one of them kind of films. And then it gets all wacky with the machine guns. It turns into kind of like a Bond film with the... uh mm-hmm many masked and armed men coming in on skis and yeah it, it was very bizarre it definitely taps into that 80s kind of aesthetic of the of the big action film that was very popular back then the Arnie type of movie or the sliced alone type of movie um but yeah very funny very satirical um certainly kind of has a bit of a stab at the commercialization of christmas and uh, the, the the way that kind of film companies or Hollywood kind of turns what is generally kind of a a more positive, hopeful season into something which is just to be exploited for for big bucks at the box office, I guess. Um, very, Very much in the same way that this film itself is doing, I guess, which is... yeah taking this beloved story of of Ebenezer Scrooge by Charles Dickens and and turning it into something a bit more modern. Mm. So
0: before we really get to the character of Frank Cross, uh, in this scene they they show some trailers for other things as well, but they highlight the the start of the story with the the big adaptation of Scrooge and they they show the the trailer that the company executives have made (laughs) (laughs) and they make it Frank Cross's depiction of the trailer of Scrooge which also shows us a a take on and the CEOs of that time where they're just trying to sell you something. Mm. It's got nothing to do with the actual (laughs) thing that they're doing. It's completely ludicrous but it's just such wacky imagery they just want you to spend your money or watch the product. They're not actually interested in whether the product is good enough for you or that. And this trailer for Scrooge is... (laughs) It's just downright wacky.
1: It's like uh, there's, there's literally an atom bomb in there at one point. It's like, like <laughs> uh, Frank Ross just says that the audience should be so scared that they don't want to miss it. Like it, yeah. it has to put the fear of of missing it into their into their heads that they that they feel compelled to have to go and watch it. Yeah, but they seem to be tapping in on, like,
0: uh, fears of general people at that time, you know, like acid rain, (laughs) uh, drug addiction, the nuke, like you said, freeway colours, you know, it's just (laughs) things that have nothing to do with Scrooge, not any adaptation of Scrooge that I've seen anyway. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you you don't even see any footage in the trailer that is remotely tied to the traditional story of Scrooge in any way. Yeah. And, and then we meet our sort of lead character are Ebony Scrooge
0: Frank Cross, Bill Murray Who is uh, I like his little opening scene Where he's got stony face But he looks in the mirror Has a smile And then instantly goes back to his scowl <laughs> And he's, he's someone that kind of plays on that Mean spirited throughout the movie mm. he, he is mean spirited yes But he amplifies it in front of people He wants people to be scared of him He wants them to be terrified And he has fun with it as well There's a maliciousness to the way he sort of stalks around that table in the opening scene, <laughs> and even pinging the guy's ear, and when somebody else joins in, and in they're in the laughing of it. He scowls at him, mm. so he wants to be the one in control. He wants to be the only one having fun, and it sets up our main character in this opening scene of being, well, a Scrooge-like boss.
1: Yeah, I mean he he's not just he's not just a grump. He actually takes great pleasure in other people's mm-hmm. misery. So it seems. Uh, he he asks his secretary the the name of the man who dared to challenge him in the in the office. Uh, played quite brilliantly by Bobcat Goldthwait. He's, he's got a very distinctive <laughs> uh, style of acting. Which if you've seen the Police Academy movies, you, you're going to know who this guy is. He he can only mm-hmm. apparently do the same persona in a, in anything that <laughs> I've seen him in. Yeah. But it's a very funny one at that. Um, but yeah, he he basically kind of gives this guy some kind of false hope, like they're they're buddies, like they can move past the fact that he's just challenged him. And then behind his back, he gets his secretary to basically fire him and have him chucked immediately out of the building. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And stop his bonus check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she unwittingly gives him the idea to do that. So we have... um...
0: We have our, our Scrooge character, and we have our Bob Cratchit, who is the secretary in this story. And and, and she seems to get to do a lot of Frank's dirty work for him. <laughs> she, she looks like a, a, an extremely hard-worked secretary. Mm.
1: Um, and she's got a... a, 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 a t- is it Tim? Tiny... Yeah, like this yeah. is this story's version of the Tiny Tim character. Yeah, yes. So he's which is
0: our son who hasn't
1: spoken since he's, uh, <laughs> seen his father's
0: death type thing. Yeah, uh, you know, but you can you can give that. I mean, you know what's coming, but it's it's an adaptation of a well-known story, so we can we, we know the typical beats that it's going to take.
1: Quite quite a lot of the fun in this film does lie in spotting those Dickensian. Parts of the story, like ch- trying to figure out, well, who's who's who. If this was the actual Dickens story, who would be Bob Cratchit? Who would be Tiny Tim? You know, it's so it, yeah, it's uh, it's quite amusing to to go along and, and try and point those people out.
0: Absolutely, and uh, Frank gets his first visit from the ghost from the Jacob Marley character who. Lewis Hayward in this uh, tale, his ex-boss, who, who scares the bejesus out of him <laughs> while he's in the office. You know, and that's another strange thing. He's, he's out one night, but he goes back to the office after he's night out. He doesn't go home. Mm-hmm. He's back to the office for a drink. It says a lot about the character,
1: doesn't it,
0: it? It really does. And then you've got that awesome scene of the door bulging, <laughs> you know? But it doesn't look as if it's... I mean, it looks like a solid thing that's pulsating before it explodes in. There are some and cracking uh,
1: special effects in this, actually.
0: There really are. And some
1: really creepy ones as well. Um, mm. The film over here is a PG, and I'm fairly certain that if they released this today in, in the same version that it's in, it would probably get the 12A certificate because mm. there's some pretty bad language in it. There's a, there's a few few times that bad language is used but there's also some genuinely creepy moments that might actually scare some younger kids um like with this mm-hmm. scene when uh, when his friend or his farmer boss uh, and says something else about his character that his closest friend was was his boss um yeah kind of pushes him out through this window and he's kind of grappling with his arm but then his arm just starts tearing off because obviously this guy is just he just looks like a decaying corpse but the special effects on that again are really good really kind of messed up um quite good body horror stuff
0: yeah and you've got the scene when he he comes in as well and he's sorting himself a drink and a mouse pushes a golf ball out the back of his head (laughs) and then crawls back in his head it's really off-putting, mm. kind of weird. And even the character of Frank's kind of dis- disgusted by that. Mm. But this ghost, this Jacob Marley character turns up and warns them that he's going to be seen by three spirits. Um, and then we meet I another character is Bryce Cummings, who it seems to be this young upstart
1: in the company. Oh, he, he knows. John Glover. I love this guy. Yeah. I really do. Now, I I know you're not... You're not a, a Smallville guy, um, but th- this guy was in Smallville as oh no no no, Brian I'm I'm a Smallville guy. Are you a Smallville guy? Yeah. genuinely. All oh, right.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was Lex Luther. Yeah, well he was, or he, Lex he, father. Yeah,
1: Lionel Luther. Yeah. Well, you learn something every day. That's good to hear. Now I, I'm a unabashedly unashamed die-hard fan of Smallville. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I I love this guy in Smallville. He's absolutely menacing. He's absolutely Mm -hmm. just owns every scene that he's in. Um, So to see him here, I'd forgotten, actually, that he was in this film. So watching it this time around, I was now coming at it as a fan of John Glover. So, yeah, uh, he's great here as this kind of... Ever optimistic, as you say, upstart of a uh, of a man who's who's essentially trying to take Frank's job, but he's just being very mm-hmm. polite about it. He's he's doing it in such a, a way that Frank can't really call him out on it. He can't really you know point the finger and say, "Yes, this guy's taking my job," because he's just being too nice about it, and that's his. His method, I guess. He's he's going under the radar. He's being nice to everyone, making sure everybody likes him. All all the while, undermining everything that Frank is doing because Frank apparently looks like he's losing his mind once all the uh, yeah. once all the spirit stuff starts kind of hitting the fan.
0: And that what sort of hits with that character and Frank's boss when they go to the restaurant for a lunch. <laughs> and uh, Frank's starting to see all these crazy images it's read about him.
1: It's got one of, my, one of the funniest lines in the film, for me, uh, um, this time around anyway, which is a line that, as a kid watching, I just would not have got at all. It would have gone straight over my head. Um, I wouldn't have even known who Richard Pryor is, but <laughs> he, he basically sees this guy, this um, this waiter... On fire, he has a vision of this waiter on fire, and he throws water over him, and he just says, "Sorry, mm. I thought you were Richard Pryor," and then walks off. And like I say, that will probably be lost on you know any young audiences today, as it was on me when I when I first mm. watched it. But now, being an older man and, and knowing the history of Richard Pryor, knowing what happened. Not only is that joke in poor, poor taste, <laughs> but it was also very close to the time when it had happened. So yeah, it was uh, it was very on the nose at the time this film came out. Um, but yeah, a very brave kind of joke to to pull off in in what is essentially a family film, I think.
0: Yeah, and and then just after that meeting, he kind of bumps into the ghost of Christmas Past. He goes out to get a cab. He steals one off somebody, and that just happens to be the the ghost
1: of Christmas Past. Mm. Is that fantastic in this movie. Mm. I'm sure I've seen this guy in other things, but I I can never remember what I've seen him in. But I I only know the only other thing. This.
0: The only other thing that I can remember
1: him from is a
0: movie called Let It Ride, right? Starring Richard Dreyfus. Okay. And I remember him from that. But um, in this one, he's 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 quite a good character actor. He's he's very good in this. And he, he takes Frank back to the past. And he tells him what he's going to do as well. Mm. Quite a lot of times, you know, I'm going to take you back and see your mother. and mm. you know, Niagara Falls, Frank. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love the way he messes with him as well. Like when he goes through the door and then yeah. Frank just <laughs> assumes he can follow him through and, and he's unable to at the time, but... Uh-huh. Yeah, he, and, and you get a, Sorry, you go. No, I was just gonna say, he, he's, he's definitely a bit of a character, this guy. He's, he's a bit of a joker. Um,
0: yeah, it's not you get that with, you know, definitely the first two ghosts hmm. where they're there to teach him a lesson, and, and you know what? And if they have a little bit of fun with them on the way or rough him up, then that's just the way it's going to be. Especially um, that second so that, one Blimey, she's abusive <laughs> I, I, Yes, I'm looking forward to that conversation um, So uh, look, we get to meet like Frank's mum here Who's heavily pregnant and smoking away And uh, Frank's dad that comes in, the butcher mm. Who gives him his Christmas present early. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, 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 is this obviously meat wrapped up, falls on the floor It's just that, is it a choo-choo train? <laughs> <laughs> no, no it is not, and that just gives you an aspect of it as well you, you get to see Frank in front of the TV and you get that thing that he's always been in front of the TV mm. his whole life And that's why he now works in a TV station That was his, uh, the parents that kind of raised him almost, the TV And it's, it's it's just that small little scene just gives you an insight to the character Before it moves on to him meeting Karen Allen and her first introduction into the the movie, as she clatters on with the door. Mm. I don't know how you, you feel about Karen Allen, but I pretty much like her and just about everything that she's in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I know her from a right lot other than Indiana Jones. I mean, obviously, she she's the, the flame from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and apparently she came back in some, dare I say, fourth Indiana Jones film, but I I, I yeah, I can't say... Can't say many people would know about that. I think it went under the radar. It's, uh, it's, de- it's definitely not a, uh, a a big release, as far as I'm aware. No, I never heard of it. No. Um, but, yeah, she it, was certainly it, she, great she, she, in that first Indiana Jones film, and she's, she's equally so here.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was in the National Lampoon's Animal House.
1: All oh, right,
0: <laughs> uh, and uh, Starman as well.
1: Oh yes, yeah, Starman. That's that's actually a, a pretty decent film. John Carpenter as well, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yep, very oh, much an excellent movie. Okay. Um and and she kind of comes into this as the is the love interest for uh, Frank. And I, I think their chemistry together is really good. I think you really get a sense of the relationship and the the these two people. Although it shows you in in some small scenes, they really do feel as if they they are made for each other almost.
1: Mm, I think a lot of that does come down to Karen Allen actually. I think she always seems to manage to to have a good rapport with her male co stars. She's mm-hmm. just one of them bubbly personalities. Like she has that smile that seems to light up the room. Um, she that manic pixie dream girl before there was such, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's a really wide smile. If you, if you watch her smile, it just, yeah, it goes from ear to ear. But the, the, the one weakness, I would say, about the film mm-hmm. is not because of Karen Allen, but more the way it's written. And I would say it's just how much trust, or how much hope, I guess she has for frank um now there's there's a scene much later in the film where they you know she's she's working in this uh, homeless kind of hostel she looks after mm-hmm. homeless people and frank comes in and he's being very rude and very standoffish with other people um mm-hmm. and eventually she does click and she just she just kind of have a go at him and and kind of tells him to to go his separate way or whatever, but it feels like she takes an awful long time to get to that point. Like to me, it just it feels like she I don't know has, has got blinkers on as to just mm-hmm. what an ass this guy really is. Um Now <laughs> whether whether that's just down to the character herself because she is obviously you know a, a, someone who has faith in people. She she works for people. Um, she's a volunteer. She's, you know, as Frank says, she's still trying to save the world and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, whether uh, you might be able to let that slide, but for me, that was just a little niggle that cropped up during the film.
0: When the when the ghost of Christmas Past leaves, I just like the way he leaves Frank hanging. <laughs> you know, just that, you know, Frank's sitting there just going like, "I know what's going on," and then turn around in the instantly like, "What's going on?" <laughs> you know, just this... um, and be and kind. Cut back to Frank within the the, the settings of the Scrooge programme that's been filmed. And this is one of the aspects of the movie that I quite like because it's referencing a Christmas carol um, and it cuts back to the, the a traditional telling of that story. And it's a scene that kind of mirrors the scene that we've almost had, or the scene that's about to come. Mm. Do you know, like, when he, he snaps out the ghost of Christmas past, he sees the scene of the woman leaving Ebenezer Scrooge, mm. which is what he's just kind of been shown. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, no, know, it's, it's quite a nice, uh, like, juxtaposition of, of images the whole time you went up with this current story, and it's just a nice touch. Let's go on to the one that I really want to talk about, the ghost of <laughs> Christmas present. <laughs> That's it. Carol Kane is this violent little fairy who just makes me smile as soon as she appears on the screen. Because when she appears, she appears ditzy, and she's trying to dance and try to count out the steps, and then before you know it, wham, she's beating
1: the hell out of Frank. Yeah, she kicks him in the balls, she punches him in the face every opportunity she gets. At one point, she nearly pokes his eyes out, if it weren't for the fact that he sticks his hand up between <laughs> them. Um Yeah, she's really abusive. Um But like you mm-hmm. say, she... You first see her; she looks like this dainty little fairy, and uh, yeah, it turns out to be the uh, the fairy from hell. <laughs> mm.
0: It's that voice as well—that that little
1: high-pitched, mm. squeaky voice.
0: And she even says to him at some point, um, "You know, I like the rough stuff, Frank." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's just it's the delight that she seems to take out of beating this mm. guy up as well. Um, yeah, he, she, it's kind of—I guess what we would all like to do to him. I, I mean. If it weren't for the fact that this guy has been played by Bill Murray, he, he would be a very hard character to like.
0: Yeah, and that's part of the charm of Bill Murray. He, mm. he puts that into the character and makes us, makes you want to see this unlikable character have that turning point. Mm. But um, within this part, with the, with the ghost that keeps beating him up, she takes him to see the Cooley family, his assistant, and, and the silent son. And this is one of the, the things that always... Sort of, Grated on me And it, it's such a small thing in the movie But the little puzzle It's got the kids fighting over a puzzle Who can't do it mm. And you've got the little silent son Who's just standing watching him And they go away He takes the puzzle over to the window And, and does it straight away I, I don't know why that annoys me But it ju- <laughs> <laughs> It just It feels heavy-handed <laughs> In a movie that and have some heavy-handed themes and that in it but it just feels as if they're saying this boy's special, this boy's something different <laughs> not. and for some reason it just niggles on my nerve ever so slightly
1: no, I, can't, I can't say that ever bothered me really but not even dressing him up as a Christmas tree? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not really <laughs> <laughs>
0: not really <laughs> What about before we move on to the next ghost? What about the character of uh, Elliot Lattermilk, Bobcat Goldthwait, like you? You alluded to earlier on, and his wacky way of talking. He has a very, very strong comedic presence throughout this movie. Mm-hmm.
1: I I love how he just but, kind of. He pops up a lot, like throughout the middle section mm-hmm. of the film, but not really doing a lot. You just see him kind of slowly degrading. So. From the moment that he's been thrown out of the Mm. building and he's been fired, each time we see him, it's just like snippets, but each time we see him, he just looks (laughs) worse than the last time we saw him. Uh, And Mm. he's trying to desperately get his hands on a bottle of alcohol, which uh, keeps on getting knocked out of his hand or... Mm. You know, he keeps on getting splashed on by the car. That just happens to be the car Bill Murray's character is driving again. Um, yeah, but, but it's literally, is this not like a 24-hour
0: period? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it, it seems he seems he to, like, sells blood for money at one point. You know, he's instantly <laughs> <laughs> skinned for some reason. And it's just, every time it cuts back to him, he's, he's kind of like a comedic relief. But when you look past the comedic relief, everything that's happening to him is absolutely terrible. You know, he gets <laughs> fired. It's funny. His wife his blood. His wife is mm. selling his blood to get money. He instantly passes out and gets robbed, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Every time he gets a bottle of booze he loses it, whether it drops and smashes or somebody steals it. It's just everything that happens this, to that guy. This
1: character would not be the same at all if it weren't for Bobcat Goldthwaite, because it's that voice, it's that distinctive voice that he has that just makes him sound so pathetic
0: and so feeble. Yeah, no... I'm trying to remember back to like the the boardroom scene at the start. I don't think he doesn't really use that voice much there, does he? Oh, he, he does. He's he's because I was trying to think whether he, he used it as a stress measure. Like the, the worse he got on, the more he seemed to use it throughout the movie. But maybe I'm just it. It's, it that certainly
1: and... gets wilder. So, like by the time we get to the scene where he's coming in with with a shotgun, um, he's <laughs> he's totally deranged. Yeah. But. When you listen to him in the board meeting, it's just a more relaxed version of that voice because mm. that is his voice. Um, but, yeah, it, it's definitely the, that, you know, even from those those opening lines of dialogue he has, I could tell you right off the bat without seeing him who it was. Yeah,
0: so we have the, the, the last ghost to kind of talk about, the ghost of Christmas to come. And it's always depicted as a death creature type of thing. And again, it is the same here. Uh, a creature that doesn't speak, but it does have this one visual element of a a screen for a face. Mm, Yeah. And uh, screaming souls inside its chest cavity. (laughs) (laughs) Although they do look kind of rubbery, still a weird, weird image to have in a, 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 a movie that
1: kids can watch. Yeah. I love the way Frank sees him and then kind of closes it. (laughs) And then he he can't quite believe what he's seen, so he has to have another look. (laughs) So he just opens it again. Yep, yep, it's still there. Still there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is the ghost of Christmas future uh, for the TV generation, for the MTV generation, I guess, um, with with that kind of face-like TV. But, yeah, this, this one always seems to be... Like the grim, the grim reaper type, doesn't he, with the, uh, the giant scythe? Um, it, it, out of all the, out of the three spirits, it tends to be the one that looks the same, no matter what the interpretation of a Christmas Carol. Um, yeah, I guess it's just a very, a very potent image, very iconic image it's
0: kind of where the story takes a turn as well because up to then it's kind of fun, but this is supposed to be the the sort of serious, deadly motivation that makes Ebenezer or Frank change their mind. Mm. So it's kind of hard to go a comedic group with that that main character
1: there. Yeah, c- can we just also point out? There's the guy who dies in the sewer. Down oh, in the sewer. Yeah, now yeah. that's that's mm-hmm. in the present, isn't it? That's not in the future. Yes. Yeah, um so just just backtracking a little, that mm-hmm. scene haunted me as a child. <laughs> yeah. Like really like it's one of those scenes that just stuck with me as a kid. Just the way Frank is, is he's talking to this guy and he's just got this kind of inane grin on his face but as you get closer you realize that actually that's not a grin that's a it's more of a grimace because mm. he's he's frozen to death so he's literally frozen with his te- teeth chattering so it just looks like a grin um but yeah and he's down in the sewer alone it's like the loneliest mm. way to die um yeah. and just that kind of you know as as a, as an Eight- or nine-year-old boy just being confronted <laughs> yeah. with this lonely, lonely death of a homeless man. Yeah, that that image always haunted me. Um, and, and just the fact that, you know, this isn't the future, this is the present. So mm. this isn't something that Frank can undo. When he gets his eureka moment at the end, like Ebenezer Scrooge does... And goes back and you know redoes you know does things over again. This is one thing he can't change because it's in the present. Even now, it's still quite a, quite an image. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that
0: before. I suppose seeing it as a, a, a child. But I then mean, I was a child that grew up watching Texas Chainsaw
1: <laughs> Massacre, so I don't know if it really. <laughs> <laughs> it's me exactly, pretty I mean, I tame stuff uh, compared to that, yeah. But I mean, I, I'll give Richard Donner props. I've got to say, I was looking mm. at his IMDb profile um, just today, actually. I mean, I know the guy's made some really good stuff, but like his, the majority of his career was in TV. He did tons of TV work, uh, a, a few made-for-TV movies, but. His first big screen movie was *The Omen*, which is a, a right. classic within its own right. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's probably one of the earliest films that that you could genuinely say was was competition for *The Exorcist* um, in in that realm of, of of movie kind of thing. You know, uh, and then. He goes on to make Lethal Weapon. Well, the whole Lethal Weapon series, in fact. You know, he did all of them. And then this, uh, you know, the last film he made was actually 16 Blocks. He, he's not made a film since then, which is really? quite sad. But that itself is is quite a, an underrated, neat little thriller, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, this this guy's made some really good films in his career. It's, it's definitely someone worth checking out. You know, Superman, blimey. He practically invented the modern day comic book superhero movie all all comic book superhero movies owe a debt to his superman which still stands the test of time um so he's not a direct he's not you know he's not an everyman director i don't think i think people treat no. him as though he is but he's not he's made some classic films um so yeah and this this is definitely one of them he He's able to balance the comedy with the drama, and he's able to, you know, as I say, present an image in what is actually presented as a family film. Um, he's able to, to present this image that is actually quite haunting, that sticks with you.
0: Yeah, and just like I like to say that about the comedy, there, you've got the, the say Elliot Lattimore. Comedy that goes through the movie But the other one you've got like that Is the The censor That is in Making sure that everything's up to code And, they're shown. and they just keep Injuring this <laughs> woman As many times as they can And I don't think it ever Doesn't get funny Um They just they, You know No matter what they're doing to her But she, I suppose she gets a reward In the end mm. the movie So Talking about the, the end of the movie And that, that Sort of Revelation that Frank Cross has when he, he bursts onto the set during this live performance of Scrooge, you know, yeah. he's, he's and he starts talking directly to the camera, to us, the viewer, mm-hmm. telling us about how he's going to change, how we should grab every moment, we should live for the for the moment as well, and and. That we shouldn't be spending our time in a movie theater, or we shouldn't be <laughs> spending time watching TV. It was quite a quite a strong image, and and it always kind of got me as kind of cheesy. But I think it's Bill Murray just really sells that. Yeah, you know, you can you he can hear his voice going during his performances as, he, as he's talking about this and. You got to wonder that. Surely that couldn't have all been
1: scripted. I was just going to say a lot of it feels ad libbed because obviously, I mean, Bill Murray was a stand-up anyway, so he knows how to do that stuff. He knows he knows how, how to go on the fly. But yeah, like you say, a lot of it does feel very naturalistic, very on the spot. It feels like it might be ad libbed a lot of it, um, mm-hmm. but it definitely works. I think it it resonates
0: but it's definitely a good way of doing it by he's talking into the, the TV cameras as if he's talking to the viewers mm-hmm. at home, but he's he's directing everything that the person actually watched in that movie, and it's just a nice, a nice little touch.
1: Yeah, and, and especially in a film that has actually spent a lot of its running time dissecting the media industry i mean mm-hmm. it's the film plays almost like a social commentary on the media industry there's one moment which really made me laugh where frank's boss comes to him and says look we we want you to start putting like little birdies and and little mice and and things like that in into the uh, into the programming because Research has shown that actually cats and dogs are now watching television. So we, we need to sell to that market. And you're just like, you sat there thinking, yeah, this is stupid. But I can kind of believe that some studio executive somewhere has probably thought of that at some point. Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, we live in a world where everything on TV is, is thought out. Every little part of you know, the the audience has been dissected and has been scrutinised to 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 think well, how can we sell this product to that demographic? And uh yeah, so it's not it's not too far removed from reality to kinda you know, it's not a stretch to believe that a guy like this would exist and that something as stupid as this would be
0: done. I guess the one thing we haven't touched on is the story with Frank's brother, mm. who we see in a, a couple of scenes throughout this um, movie. What did you think about about that character? Because he kind of he seems kind of shoehorned in at certain moments, and it seems like an added character that they don't really need to have.
1: Well, it you know it, it, it's a character that's in the original Dickens story, so. Mm. To, to me, it didn't it didn't feel uncomfortable at any point when he was in there. Um, there was one moment where he's first introduced and he's kind of on this exercise bike in Frank's office, and that that, uh, that moment kind of had me going, "Who's this guy?" You know, it, t- it took a little while before they actually revealed who he was, and then I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course," you know, because we we do get to see Frank's uh, Scrooge's brother or a family member of some description in in that original tale. Um, We've certainly seen it in a few of the renditions, anyway, of A Christmas Carol, Um, because I always remember that scene where they see, where Frank sees him having dinner, having, it's it's like um, he's he's having a party with guests around, and... Yeah. Is Is it usually a nephew... Yes, I think it is actually. I think it's it usually is because um, I, I remember in the the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol, the animated one, um, they had Colin Firth playing that character. I don't think it was a brother. I think yeah, I think you're right. I think it was like a nephew. Um, but that character, that that um, not necessarily the particular relative, but the just the the function that it serves has always been in the story. No no matter which version I'm watching, that always seems to be there. And it always seems to get for me one of the most touching moments. I mean it doesn't seem to matter which version I'm watching, but the the faith that this character has that his brother will turn around or his his uncle will turn around or you know whichever version you watch it. Mm-hmm. It, it always touches me on some level. It always makes me think that, actually, I wish I was a bit more like that. I wish I, you know, because... Cause I, I think we all judge our family members at times, and I think, you know, we all have certain family members that maybe we don't get on with, or, you know, maybe not close ones, but maybe distant ones, mm-hmm. maybe aunts, uncles, or whatever. And sometimes, I, I you know, I sometimes think that Actually, the things about them that annoy me so much, maybe if I spent less time thinking about why they annoy me and actually thought about how I acted with them, then maybe that'd make more of a, an impact, more of a difference. I don't know, I'm just analysing that scene and why, for some mm. reason, no matter what version I'm watching, it always seems to touch me in some way. No, that's a very good point.
0: I think it's because you only see the character in short moments that I, I think it, it maybe just came across to me as it felt shoehorned in but mm. I suppose he needs to have some other connection outside of his workplace yeah. he needs to have something else that he could go into he's got the relationship with Claire. He, he could have his brother who seems to love him no matter what even the, the little gift he gives him is one of those things that you kind of you would cherish for years mm. you know, that, that little image
1: the thing is these these people see something in him that yeah. without them we wouldn't see so when you get to the big change at the end well it, it it wouldn't work you know um so like when when the ghost is taking him to various places in his present and we get to see this scene well if you didn't have that scene what what else are you going to put there um, it needs to be something that is going to make us in some way want to love Frank, want to love Scrooge, want to have some sense of hope that he can change. Otherwise, when he does change at the end, yeah, it, it ain't going to work. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think this is probably my favourite interpretation of A Christmas Carol. What do you think? Do you think it's it's up there? Or do you think there's there's better ones out there, or is there anything that you prefer to this?
1: Yeah, I mean, my personal favourite, uh, as far as direct or very closely direct <laughs> um, adaptations of it, is actually the one I just mentioned, which is the Jim Carrey, Robert Zemeckis animated version. Um, mm. Now, I, I think there are a couple of scenes in that that feel shoehorned in for the sake of 3D because that was released as a 3D movie. There's there's, a, yeah. there's one scene I can think of in particular where there's this big chase sequence um, yeah. and that seems like it's just there for the sake of action and for the sake of, you know, the 3D. But other mm-hmm. than that one criticism, I would say it's just note perfect of what I want as an adaptation, it, it it adapts that Dickens story brilliantly I think and, and just re- you really get a sense of atmosphere from it um, but yeah that, that's my personal favourite as far as adaptations go Un- unless you want to go really kind of off kilter and say It's a Wonderful Life now I know It's a Wonderful Life isn't an adaptation of Scrooge but it's certainly inspired by it. They've just taken that Scrooge storyline and reversed it, flipped it on its head. So rather than a nasty man who who needs, you know, redemption, they take a really great man and kind of show him actually that it's, it's the other people. It's the rest of the world that... that he is, he is affected in a positive way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's almost like a reversal of the Scrooge storyline but yeah. Um, this film, Scrooged, is definitely high up there. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean without spoiling or giving away my final mark which I am just going to do now um, I, I would say this is my second favourite adaptation of the Scrooge story.
0: Mm-hmm. Um I think I think I like this one because of probably the 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 TV aspect of it mm. within the, the actual adaptation itself. I grew up like Frank did in the the, the the movie with glued to the TV, and I love everything about. I used to you know the TV. I mean the Christmas. I still remember like Christmas time TV. You'd get the, the Radio Times or. or some other thing, and I used to sit there, I'd get it as soon as it came out, I would sit down, and I would go through that thing looking for what I was going to watch, because I was that sad. Um, and I would plan out my Christmas viewing schedule to that, and I would always look out for Scrooge coming on, because it was it was the one that I liked the most. I, I, I would watch the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol and watch the other ones, but for me, this one just kind of spoke to me a little bit more. It had a little bit of a I say how do I say, a mean-spirited side to it with, with some aspects of it, like, with the ghosts you know, beating up Frank or teasing Frank and, yeah. and I think especially when we get to our top five you'll see that aspect probably highlighted a lot more in what I've done for the top five that, that say, mean-spirited <laughs> streak within your Christmas movies mm-hmm. and I think that's why it's, it's probably my favourite adaptation of that if you Have you anything else you want to talk about in Scrooge or anything else you want to mention
1: uh not really no i mean I think I covered mostly what i wanted to speak wanted to talk about like the, the whole media angle you know um mm. yeah. Uh, yeah it's 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 a really good film, uh like I say, probably my second favorite adaptation of of Dickens's storyline um mm. I, I, I kind of like the Albert Finney one, which I believe isn't a popular one, uh, mm-hmm. but I think that one's got a lot of atmosphere as well. Uh, but, yeah, certainly the the Robert Zemeckis one is, is probably my favourite.
0: Shall we just move into our overall summations of the movie and our scores?
1: Yeah. OK, I, I want to pin
0: first here. Like. Scrooge, is one of those movies that whenever I put it on it's like a warm blanket it's comfortable it's something I enjoy seeing and there's always parts that I've somehow managed to forget about like the opening scene that I, I just always for some reason forget that's there and then I, I like every aspect of it and I don't find that there's any point during the movie where I'm zoning out or I want to look at my mobile or I want to open the laptop or doing something like that it catches my attention it keeps my attention and it keeps me entertained and that's I think it's down to Bill Murray's performance it's, it's absolutely perfect, I think there's. even after all the years of watching it, it's still funny, and I I really do just like this movie, it's just one of my favourite Christmas movies and yes, I grew up with it, and it's 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 difficult to grow up with a movie liking a movie and then seeing it years later and going like, you know what what the hell was I thinking (laughs) you know, I've done that so many times with certain things, but Scrooge holds up for me, it is a product of its time but I'm quite happy with that because I'm a product of that time as well, so maybe not for for newer or, or younger people, but for myself, I absolutely love it and it's easily a 5 out of 5 for me
1: mm. Yeah, I mean I I kind of echo everything you just said, I just, I just think it's Richard Donner is a very underrated director, I think I think this is a, a really great adaptation of a film that of, of a story i should say that you know has been sold, has been told so many times and when you have a story like that that's been told so many times it just it can make you numb so when you hear it again it just feels like you're going through the motions mm-hmm. so to do something with it that makes it feel fresh that actually excites you when you're watching it That's quite special, I think. Um, Would I give it a five? No, I don't think so. Uh, There are just a few little things in it that have dated. and, and, And again, I can't quite get my head around this whole reason why Karen Allen's character is so besotted with this guy who clearly isn't a particularly nice man. Um... But, yeah, the, you know, that there is a great balance there of comedy and drama and there's some genuinely haunting moments in it if some of the special effects have dated somewhat. You know, the, you think of the the Muppets in the, the Grim Reaper's chest. They, they don't look particularly uh, spectacular <laughs> by today's standards. No. But, yeah, Bill Murray's definitely definitely watchable in it Uh, i'd I'd give it a a four out of five i i kind of want it if i think if i was giving my childhood rating for this i would definitely go at least four and a half out of five but probably a five um but Mm -hmm. i think some of the sheen's just worn off maybe because i've seen it so many times um but it's Mm -hmm. still really solid stuff really good film i'd give it a four
0: great so we'll move on to our top five Christmas movies, and we said in our last episode that this could be anything. Um, I think you came out with the rules of if it's got Christmas music, if it's got decorations, if it's set at Christmas, it is a Christmas movie.
1: Uh, am I correct with that? Yeah. Uh, I said if it if it's set if it's set at Christmas or it's about Christmas, then it's a Christmas movie. Which seems
0: perfectly fair, okay. and that's uh, part of the the, the rules that I've stuck by. Now just. When I went to do this, I didn't realise there was that many Christmas movies that I really liked. So trying to get a list of five down, especially with adding in those parameters that you gave me, I found this a tough, tough choice. I don't know about yourself.
1: Yeah, I uh, I found it really tough. I mean, I'm looking at my top five now and I've just realised that actually I need to... (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 I need to change something around but uh, yeah um, mm, it is a tough one it is really
0: tough and would you say there's any like running theme through your top 5 because I know in my top 5 it seems to be there seems to be a mean streak through just about all the movies that I've got in my my, my top 5 here
1: no, no there isn't mm-hmm. um, I, I think mine mine has a good balance I would say Um Kind of. Kind of. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll just jump straight into this, Brian. That's good. Have you got any honourable mentions first? I, I do, I, I do, but there's too many to, to really go in. You don't have to talk about them, just, just list them. Just list them, um, just list a few.
0: Okay, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Elf, um, Let's see, A Muppet Christmas Carol, all I want for Christmas, eh, home for the holidays. <laughs> I, Let's I'm get into your top thinking.
1: five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, it sounds like I've just destroyed your <laughs> Okay, so my number five on my list, um, and I'll explain it as I go, is Home Alone. Now, I, I've I've watched Home Alone pretty much every year mm-hmm. since it came out, and it's something that I like to sit down and watch with my family. I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think it's well made and I don't think it holds up. But that last 15 minutes, the sheer joy and, and, that it gives me and it, the laughter that I hear my family having as we're watching these two criminals pretty much get beaten up by an 8-year-old is just hilarious. And it, it, though it doesn't make up fully for the, the rest of the movie, which is bloody terrible, it's something that I stick on every year and I do get some pleasure out of it. So, number five
1: is Home Alone. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I said I needed to swap something round, um, I'm... <laughs> 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 Man, it's hard. Like, even now, I've, I've thought about this earlier and it's just based on some things I've just said. I'm like, I'd literally just said that Scrooged is probably my second favourite. Adaptation, <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> I think it's my third. So um, yeah, uh, honourable mentions. Um, Home Alone, I'd say, is an honourable mention. I, I you know I like the film. I, I don't think it's spectacular, um, but I, I do mm. like it. I I think I like the more dramatic elements of it now more than the slapstick, iron-in-the-face kind of stuff um, that I once did. Um, But, yeah, definitely an honourable mention. Lethal Weapon is an honourable mention. Um, Now, that's a film that takes place at Christmas. It has Christmas in it. But it's not a film I... If you say Christmas to me, I don't instantly think Lethal Weapon. And for Mm -hmm. that reason... I don't put it on this list. I actually think it's better than some of the choices in my top 5, but not as a Christmas movie, just as yeah. a movie period. Um so yeah, I've jettisoned Lethal Weapon from a top 5. So with that in mind, my top 5 is a number 5 Muppet's Christmas Carol. Um it's a film that is really faithful to the Charles Dickens story, um, mm-hmm. but like Scrooged, it just takes a totally different tack with it. It does something new with it. Just, that, just by adding these Muppets in, um, and the attention to detail is fantastic. I think it was Brian Henson who directed this one, um, Jim Henson's son, uh, and... Yeah, I mean, it's one of them films that if you if you go back and rewatch it, you notice things in the background that you never noticed before. Just because there's there's so many Muppets doing things, yeah. um, you know, little ones just just in the corner of the screen, uh, another one there. It's just, there's, there's a lot going on, um, and then you tie that up with this you know traditional story, and Michael Caine's great as as Scrooge. A uh, uh, Scrooge um, th- th- This was kind of the start Really of, of my love for Michael Caine I know, I didn't really like Michael Caine in his earlier career But as he became an older man He suddenly became Watchable Very watchable mm-hmm. um, And I think this was the start of it For me uh, But yeah, uh, definitely a great adaptation Of, of the Dickens story And
0: I I, I think it's something that the the Muppets were never really able to recapture again. I know they tried to Mm. adapt other books like Treasure Island and things like that and it just never worked. But Michael Caine in that movie, it doesn't feel as though he's phoning it in, even though he's acting against puppets, you know. Mm. He feels as if he's giving 100% true performance. It's great. And he looks like he's
1: having the time of his life as well. He really looks Mm -hmm. like he's enjoying himself. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a great pick. Uh, I'll jump onto my number four
0: and uh, I'm pretty sure, just a wee caveat here first, uh, if if I was to do this list in an hour, it would probably change if I was to do it tomorrow, it would definitely change there's just that many good movies, but number four for me is Bad Santa Mm. now oh, good reaction there Brent (laughs) Um, I think, I like Bad Santa and it's one of these ones where the lead character is downright just nasty, just a downright nasty person who you shouldn't really want to like or see get the better of this but even in the end it just feels you like the, the coldest heart can be warmed I think and it's rude, it's crude, it can be disgusting but it's that kind of nasty spin on these wholesome movies that generally Christmas movies tend to be and I think Billy Bob's uh, Thornton's performance is, is great in this movie. I'm looking forward to the sequel. I'm going to watch this one again pretty soon. I like it. It's a fun film.
1: Yeah, I I went into Bad Santa after the hype, um, you know, of it being this great kind of indie film that turned the, the Christmas film on its head and stuff and. I'd give it a three out of five. I, I wasn't really as enamoured with it as, as most people. I mm-hmm. it just didn't do it for me as much. I did like Billy Bob Thornton in the role, but the film I dunno, it felt plodding to me, it bored me a bit. It didn't yeah, didn't really go many places that I wanted it to go. Uh so yeah, I mean, maybe it deserves a rewatch. Uh mm-hmm. If, if I watched it now, I might change my opinion. But, yeah, there you go. Uh, so my number four, is that what we're on? Uh-huh. Yeah, my number four yep. is A Christmas Carol. So the, the Jim Carrey one, the Robert Zemeckis film. Right. Um, Zemeckis had done two films before this in which he tried this technique of animation, this style of animation, uh-huh. And with the Polar Express, as many people commented, the characters just looked dead-eyed. Um, like, they they just looked <laughs> soulless. Um, like, yeah, it was just bizarre. It was really off-putting. And then with Beowulf, he, he kind of corrected that a little bit. It, he still didn't quite manage to get rid of that dead-eyed look. But it was definitely a vast improvement on Polar Express. And I actually like the film Beowulf. I think it's very underrated. Um, But with The Christmas Carol, he seemed to perfect it. The the eyes were right. The The eyes of the characters had soul to them. And I just think that the period detail as well is spot on. I love... That period for for the film, um, it just—I don't know—it just really it captures a very particular atmosphere that I think of when I'm thinking Charles Dickens, and Jim Carrey is fantastic in it. I mean, it's okay—it's animation, but you can see his performance there. You can see it in the in the motion capture, and he plays about five different characters in this. Um, and, and, and there are times when he's acting off against himself in one scene, you know. Um, but you can't tell, because he gives very distinctive personalities to these different characters. Like, he plays Scrooge, obviously, but he also plays the ghost of Christmas past. And he gives a very different voice to it, um, a very eerie kind of voice. And, you know, unless you saw the credits, you honestly wouldn't know... That that was Jim Carrey playing against himself, Um, but yeah, I just I love the imagery, and and like I said, save for the obvious kind of shoehorning in of of the odd action sequence, I just think it adapts the story perfectly to 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 the point where it makes it feel fresh. Like I said before, this is a story you've heard so many times that it really is quite a feat if a filmmaker can make it feel fresh, and to me this film makes it feel fresh. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you know, that's one that I I saw in the cinema, but I haven't seen since then. Mm. Um, To make any comment on it, it's like quite a few years removed. It's something I'll need to check out again. But it was never something I felt like I needed to check out. But that could be because the story is something that I've seen a lot. But, Mm. you know, that's... A bit of distance removed from it, maybe good to throw it on this year and, and just see how it holds up for myself. Definitely, I'll add, I'll add that to my list. Uh, number three on my list is another one that I grew up with and I absolutely adore, and it may have its problems, but I just can't see them.
1: And that is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I remember about that film is when he cuts into the turkey and it just goes. <laughs> and like, kind of, it's just, it's so toasted, it just, yeah, Yeah. cracks open. It's one of those movies where it's, the guy's trying to have the perfect
0: Christmas, he's a do-gooder, he he wants everything to be perfect, and the more he tries, the more he fails, and he just can't quite pull things together. (laughs) And I, I love the whole Christmas setting, and it's the third part of this series, and I think it's the best, and the one that holds up the most, it's the one that I've seen most definitely and I just I just love it but there is some scenes that do kind of you can look at and you go like oh yeah we've, we've seen that kind of thing before or that's not as funny as it should be it gets kind of sticky and Chevy Chase is, is one of these, I think he's one of these love hate kind of persons you either like his shtick or you don't mm. um, I do like it and I, I find that National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is one of those uh, feel good movies for myself it's one of those ones that gives me the chuckles it just makes me feel like it's Christmas time this is the, you know, this is the start of the Christmas period when I start to watch Scrooge and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, that's the, the city, that's the sort beginning of Christmas for me uh, so that's why it's my number three <laughs> Yeah,
1: my number three is Die Hard um what can you say about Die Hard that hasn't already been said? It's just it's it's a classic action movie. It's a classic eighties movie. It's one of the best. Um, released obviously the same year as Lethal Weapon. Basically two absolutely stonking action films. Now I would actually put Lethal Weapon on a par with Die Hard. If the, if this was you know if we were just talking movies in general, I'd put the two on the on a par. But when I think Christmas movies. For some reason, I don't know why, but Die Hard to me says Christmas movie more than Lethal Weapon. And that's that's the only reason that this is on the list and Lethal Weapon isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, John McClane, brilliant character, trying to, trying to make up with his wife over the Christmas holiday season. And then he has to take down a bunch of terrorists, you know? We... we <laughs> We just sometimes that happens. It's just you know another day in the life, but yeah, I love it. Great film, great Christmas film. It, it it's bizarre how it kind of doesn't have a right lot to do with Christmas, and yet you watch it and you do feel like you've watched a Christmas film. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, Die Hard at number three. Uh, my number two
0: is Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, like for most of the reasons you said But when you if you really want to boil the story right down to its core It's about a man that just wants to spend Christmas with his family
1: Yeah
0: And those damn terrorists just get in his way Absolutely And uh, taking out the fact that it's Christmas if you want it's, It is one of the best action movies ever made And when you're going through your Christmas movie stint as most people do You see a lot of uh, Christmas Carol tales. You see a lot of It's Wonderful Life uh, TV episodes as well. Different shows that reuse these kind of similar storylines. And you need something just a little bit different. You know, you don't want another one of those saccharine, sugary, sweet kind of movies. And you want something with a bit of bite. And that's when you go to Die Hard. It's got the Christmas music. It's got the the Christmas spirit in it, I feel. And it's got a little bit of action just to to give the edge off it.
1: That's the thing, isn't it? It's like it puts you in the Christmas spirit, but it's not the same as films that put you in the Christmas spirit. So, yeah, absolutely. That's why it's my number two. So, what's your your number two, Brian? My number two is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Absolutely love this film. Absolutely love Shane Black. Um, mm-hmm. yet another reason I didn't feel comfortable with putting Lethal Weapon in the top five because that would then be two Shane Black movies in the top five um, but this one for me is just the better of the two uh, it, yeah, it's just perfect so it, it's it's a film that you really have to kind of pay very close attention to in order to keep up with what's going on The the, the plotting is very dense but I just, I just love it. It's it's brilliantly written, brilliantly acted by uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer of all people. Um, I love uh, is it Michelle Monaghan in it? Mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah, I, I sometimes get her name mixed up with someone else. Um, I, yeah, I usually mix her up with Bridget Monaghan for some reason, but. But yeah, it's it's a fantastic film and it's just got this... I mean, Shane Black is famous for setting his films around Christmas. You know, he he always puts Christmas in his movies. But, yeah, you feel that here. And, there's, you know, there's a moment when uh, Michelle Monaghan's got this kind of Santa Claus outfit on. And it just... I, yeah. I just... You know, what's not to love about that? But <laughs> it's... it's, it's it's just it's it's a very Christmassy kind of feel to it, just because of the you know the snow, the setting, um, and there is a lot in there about you know goodwill towards men and you know mm-hmm. treating people accordingly. So yeah, I I love it. Great film.
0: Yeah, it's a, an absolutely fantastic movie. I, I think it's something that's finally starting to get the praise that it deserves because it seemed to be just pushed to the sidelines for such a time. Mm. Um, And marginalised almost But it's a really enjoyable Quite clever movie I I, I quite enjoy it as well Mm. So we'll move on to my uh, Number one and it is Scrooged The movie we just (laughs) talked about It is my favourite Christmas movie It's one that I absolutely adore For all the reasons that we talked about And I could go on and on, Bill Murray's fantastic It's just a great story My favourite adaptation of A Christmas Carol And uh, it's something That I watch every year
1: and that's why it's number one. OK. And my number Drum one... Roll. That's more of a fart roll, really. But, yeah. yeah. My number one is It's a Wonderful Life. I watch this film every Christmas. I absolutely adore this film. I love Frank Capra. Um, I've got about five of his movies, and he's just one of my favourite filmmakers. He... He you know, he's often accused of of making Capricorn, as as, as they say, because his films are corny. But they have genuine heart and soul to them. Um, you know, they're not just corny. They're they're just full of heart. Um, and this this is kind of the pinnacle of that. To see this man, and you know, you know, in, they're so optimistic. This film is is very optimistic. To see this man who just desperately wants to leave his town, but things keep sucking him back in, things kind of keep stopping him, preventing him from being able to leave. Mm -hmm. And he always stays to help people out, you know, to do things for people. And then he gets to this this point where he's just at his lowest point and he, he just can't see the point anymore. He wants to end it all. And it's like, so again, like I said, it's that reversal of, a christmas carol so you get this spirit or in this case an angel coming to to him to show him his life past present and future um only the reason for doing so is to show him what a what a wonderful man he has been rather than you know what, what a wonderful man he needs to be mm. and he realizes just how much just how different, how worse off this town would be if it weren't for him, if he hadn't have been there. Um so it's it's a very hopeful film, it's a very optimistic film. Um and the final lines in it, you know, the, the whole no man is a failure who has friends, when you when you read that and then you see Jimmy Stewart's reaction to that and yeah, and they all start singing Old Land Zion. Anyone who doesn't at least want to shed a tear during that scene of, of just absolute pure joy, as far as I'm concerned, they're just they're just not human. They're absolutely heartless. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful film. I, uh,
0: I've i seen It's a Wonderful Life a few times, and I, I, I think it's fantastic. It is a, a masterpiece when I watch it, but it's one of these movies that I have to make myself go and, watch when I want to. it, feels like I, I'm, I, I have to work to get myself to sit and watch it once I sit and watch it the movie's effortless and wholly enjoyable but I feel I have to push myself to sit and watch it, I don't know why but it's a terrific tale and it's something that couldn't be made nowadays, it's part of that oh golly gosh such a good guy is set because it was made at the time it was made yeah.
1: yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd yeah. actually, i I'd challenge that, to be honest, because in a way it kind of, or a film like that has been made. Um, a very underrated film, I think, which is um, Frank Darabont, another, another Frank, um, did a film called The Majestic. and I Haven't seen it it oh blimey it's yeah very underrated but it's if frank capra made a film today that's what it would be it it feels very much like frank darabont was was making a frank capra movie and that's like you you say you know, you, you say it wouldn't be made today maybe that's yeah. why the film wasn't all that successful maybe we are just too pessimistic um But
0: if you pessimistic, but it could be it could be cynical as well. Cynical that we can't see somebody being that good these days. Mm. You know. Yeah, definitely. It's more that more that kind of analysis about it. Mm. Um, But I'll need to give that a watch. I haven't seen the majestic.
1: Yeah, it has. It's 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 more. I'd say it's more akin to um, Frank Capra's "Mr. Deeds Goes to Town" or "Mr. Smith Goes to Washington." Um, mm. As opposed to "It's a Wonderful Life," but you can definitely sti- you can st- definitely st- still see that optimism, that Capra esque optimism in it. Um, mm. So I, I think I do think a film like this could be made today. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to see a remake of this because no. you're treading on dodgy ground there. But certainly something in the in the spirit of it, in the style of it, I, I would be definitely open to seeing. I just think you have to go into it with a a more optimistic head on your shoulders I
0: guess Okay. Um, well that's it for our top five, I just want to drive everybody towards something so if you, you listen to this and you know that both of us have uh, YouTube channels at the moment, I just want to point out that Brian actually has a Christmas season going on, which is fantastic if you haven't been watching it, you should definitely need to check it out Brian, you just want to just let everybody know, just a brief summary of what you're doing so far in December
1: yeah basically i you know i've during the month of october and many people on youtube did the 31 days of october which is basically 31 days of halloween they you know they all watched horror movies and did videos geared to that um, every day of october now you know nothing against that but i'm i'm not really the horror guy i'm not really the halloween guy I'm more the December guy, I'm more the Christmas guy so I thought, you know what, forget 31 days of October I'm going to do 31 days of December so that's precisely what I'm going to do and I'm watching one film every day one Christmas film every day in December and reviewing it on my channel so that's 31 reviews in 31 days which is quite a challenge, I'm halfway through I'm already feeling like I'm flagging a bit, so you know any anyone who wants to come my to my channel and support me and just just you know g- give me the thumbs up, comment, just just give me the will to continue. Just help me out, then uh, yeah, definitely uh, that would be appreciated. So thanks. Yeah,
0: definitely check that out. You're doing great so far. So let's move on to our um, our watch list and what we've been watching recently. I've, uh, I I recently just saw Allied, the new Robert Zemeckis movie. Mm. Uh, Brad Pitt and, and Marion Cotillard. And I've got to say, have you seen the trailer for this, Brian? I've seen the trailer, yeah. The trailer in. You have me. seen pretty much 90% of the movie. Oh, you're kidding me. Oh. No, it's, it's one of these ones where everything is in the movie. <sighs> and it, it steals so much from what could be a quite exciting thriller. And the movie uh, is... In the trailer you know that these two are kind of going to do an assassination of a, a German at some point and that's that's actually the first hour of the movie is, that, is they kind of fall in love and in the second hour of the movie is that bit we see in the trailer where he finds out that his wife could or may not be a spy and he has to discover it. And the only thing that you don't get in the trailer is is the conclusion to the story and the conclusion to the story was very underwhelming. And I found myself waiting throughout the movie for beats that I would seen in the trailer. For like twists and turns that I knew were coming. And it kind of stole the thunder from the movie. Because I just, in my head I was like, I know this bit's coming up soon, when are we going to get to that? Half an hour into the movie, okay. I know this bit's coming soon, when are we going to get to that? And it felt like filler in between these beats that had been hammered home through the trailer. And, and I really feel that what I was left with was a movie that I kind of enjoyed but I'll probably never go back to it again.
1: Mm. That's that's quite disappointing, because I do like Robert Zemeckis. He's put out some very good films, and I liked the trailer for this as well, Uh, but as you say, now, now that I'm thinking about the trailer and thinking about your comments, I can actually... I can picture the film in my head and how, yeah, that trailer might get dragged out across two hours... Which is which is very disappointing. I think maybe this is one that I might be best leaving for a while, waiting until the dust has settled and I've forgotten a lot of the trailer and maybe just get it on DVD or something. So it you, may do, be more rewarding to do that. Yeah, do you think if I hadn't seen the trailer and I just went into this blind that it would have something to offer?
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, a lot of the thunder is stolen from it. By the trailer, if I went into this knowing nothing, I would probably have been on the edge of my seat and, and be shocked by some of the turns it took. But the trailer tells you out and out what's going to happen, and it kind of ruined it for me. Mm. Still, I, I, overall, I gave it a three out of five. It's it's got some nice aspects to it and I think I think you might
1: actually like it, yeah. Right. More than more than maybe I did. Okay. Yeah, the, the the trailer I did find intriguing, but yeah, that's a shame so I watched Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them Uh, I think J.K. Rowling does a pretty decent job of script duties Uh, I think some people may be put off by the the tonal shifts in it, I think it it goes from very light humour, very kind of breezy humour to suddenly quite dark moments in it almost like in the same film you're going from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone to Deathly Hallows Part Two, all in one film, and you're flip-flopping between the two. Um, But for me, they kind of made it work. I think maybe a little bit too much time as well being spent with the fantastic beasts you know running around trying to catch them and that um mm-hmm. uh when i found the other storyline a bit more engrossing the stuff that was going on with the uh th- this this boy played by ezra miller and the the villain of the piece played by colin farrell i, I found that stuff a bit more in- interesting although it was very dark i think uh yeah, and, and I did spot myself on the big screen because I, I I was an extra in the film, so <laughs> I went with my wife to do a bit of um extra spotting. So but I liked it. I liked it quite a lot actually. I like the the four main hero characters that they've set up. I'll be quite happy to to go along with these characters in future instalments. Um So, yeah, solid stuff, I'd say. Very solid stuff. Uh, this. One thing about the film that really, really annoyed me, and I'll just say spoiler warning now, if you haven't seen Fantastic Beasts yet and you don't want this ruining, although how you wouldn't know about this by now, I don't know. But, yeah, spoiler warning. If you don't want it spoiling, turn off now or, you know, come back whenever. Um, But I hated, hated when Johnny Depp popped up at the end of the film. It really annoyed me. And not because it's Johnny Depp, because I like Johnny Depp in many films. I, I really liked what he did in Black Mass recently. The reason I hated it is because it was Johnny Depp just walking straight out of a Tim Burton film. It, it looked like he'd literally just walked off the set of whatever Tim Burton film he'd been filming lately, and it really annoyed me.
0: I, I'm with you on that. It annoyed me, but it annoyed me for a different reason, and that's because I thought Colin Farrell was excellent. As the Fantastic. I loved and,
1: Colin Farrell in
0: this. And the thought of not seeing him in any other movies was a bit
1: of a letdown, because I really liked him. Yeah, I just... I became quite engrossed by Colin Farrell's character in this. I, I felt like he was a very worthy villain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if you've got to make him second fiddle to a bigger villain, then fine, make him a Malfoy, so we at least get to still see him, so he at least still remains his own character. Mm-hmm. But if we're getting Johnny Depp now in this guy's, in the rest of the films... I'm just going to be thinking, you know what, I wish we still had Farrell because I really liked him in the role. Colin Farrell's one of them actors who is seriously gaining much more respect for me the, the further he goes on in his career. Uh, he's he's one of my favourite actors at the moment. Mm. Uh, I, I really liked what he did in the second season of True Detective despite the flack that that season gets. Um, and I love him in, in Bruges*, Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, he's he's done some fantastic stuff. Fantastic work. Uh but yeah, I loved him in this. Yeah, so next time around, um I've chosen The Nice Guys uh as the as the film to review. Uh this is currently one of my favorite films of this year. Um it might actually be in my top 3. I think it is in my top 3 of this year, if not my favorite. Um but I've only seen it the once. I have bought it on Blu-ray, so I'm itching for an excuse to, to watch it again. So, yeah, uh, The Nice Guys. Um, and I think the top five, pretty obvious one, given what this movie is, I want to say buddy cop movies. Now, the, the characters in Nice Guys aren't explicitly cops. They're not both cops. One of them's a private detective. Well, I think they're both private detectives, if I'm not mistaken. Um... So, yeah, buddy cop movies, top five. Nice. OK.
0: Now, does that go for, say you've got things like The Last Boy Scout where you've got a detective and another, an ex-quarterback, who team up to solve a mystery? That yeah. Kind of as like.
1: long as one of them is a cop and he buddies up with someone, it's a buddy cop movie.
0: Nice. I'm going to have some fun with that one, I think. When <laughs> that's a great choice. I'm looking forward to watching The Nice Guys again. It's been one of my favourite movies of the year mm. as well. Yeah, so we'd like to thank everybody for listening to our recording and hopefully you'll join us next month for the nice guys as always there'll be time tracks below especially if you want to miss out on that spoiler warning there'll be a time of when to go to, to to miss that and as always our social media links are in the comment box below and we look forward to seeing you next time on Brits On Flicks
1: That is awful, with ally. <laughs> I can't say shit because I've been watching nothing but Christmas films in preparation oh. for this. Ah. <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll bring a few up. I think there's been a few scattered in. Sorry, go okay. on. Start start that again. Start that again. Yeah. And yep, don't so. u- don't use this as an outtake. <laughs> um.